Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Scott, how's it going? Good. What are we talking about this week? We're going to talk about something a little bit different because I think most of our episodes are focused kind of on planning. Mm -hmm. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about investments, which of course goes hand in hand with planning. Sure does. The question is this, and I, and I see this quite often, is how many funds should I own? Mm. Well, that's mutual fund, index fund, exchange-traded fund. You know, how many different investments, I guess, is the question, should I own? Love it. Okay, so and we'll let's break down a little bit of an example of what funds are, too, because I think that can be confusing to people as well while we do this. Good point. So uh, whether it's a mutual fund, index fund, exchange-traded fund, yeah, these are all pretty much in many ways the same thing and that's totally fine if those names go right over your head we right over explain them to you today so you, you start to get the concept the, the general point is this as an investor you can go buy if you want to invest you can go buy individual stocks you know, if you want to own apple great go online and purchase apple stock if you want to own starbucks go purchase starbucks stock but if you want to be diversified you're going to want to own hundreds or thousands of different stocks so what you can do is you can either go out and buy hundreds of stocks on your own or you can go buy a mutual fund. And what that mutual fund does is you put your money in the mutual fund and that mutual fund manager goes and buys those different stocks for you. Okay, cool. Is that so, making sense? Yep, it makes sense. So, so I mean, even though costs have come down, it's still kind of prohibitive for me to figure out what hundred stocks am I going to go buy that's going to... And first of all, you're trying to... That's active. You're trying to beat mm -hmm. the market the moment you do that, which the way that I think about our choice that you guys have as an investor is there's three ways you can build a portfolio. You can, and it all comes back to Vegas, okay? You can either choose to walk into a casino and go play the games. That's what James just described as going in and buying 50 or 100 stocks. Mm -hmm. You're choosing to decide what's going to win and what's going to lose. Mm -hmm. Doesn't really work very well. We can probably geek out on active versus passive on another day, on another question. Um, but the next question you have is just go, okay, I don't want to do that. I want to I want to build a, a casino for myself instead. I want to I want to build a place where where other people can go play the games and I'm just going to just going to see what happens. Right. And so that is like building an index fund. Index funds can be built inside of mutual funds or inside of exchange traded funds. And all you're doing is you're saying, just build the casino. I want to participate in everything. I want to let everyone else play. And I'm going to take the market performance along the way. Right. That's like Vanguard is the, is like probably the name everyone knows that does this all the time. They do, by the way, also build active funds that go inside and play the game. Mm -hmm. So be mindful of that. Um, and then the third way you can do it is you can you can do the same thing, but you can use evidence um, to actually look at how you should lay out your casino floor to optimize the floor for the returns that you can get. Mm -hmm. That's as deep as I'm going to go on the three ways you can invest Yeah, <laughs> as far as that's concerned. But within that, you can think about the fact that there are things called mutual funds, which you've already described, mm -hmm. which means that if you if I'm a mutual fund manager 
and a hundred people can give me money, I have to tell them ahead of time, I'm going to manage your money in this way. That's why you get this thing called a prospectus that basically says what I'm allowed to do and what I'm not allowed to do, how much I'm going to charge you for it, what I think I'm going to be able to do, whether I'm going to be active or if I'm going to be passive, all that fun stuff. Exchange traded funds do the exact same thing. The difference is exchange traded funds get traded throughout the day. Mutual funds trade at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of other differences that really wonky people can shoot us emails about. But for the... (laughs) I'll forward those to you, Scott. For this conversation, that's enough. That's enough. And so the question is whether it's an exchange traded fund or an index fund or a mutual fund, which at the end of the day, pretty much the same thing, depending on how you slice it. Yes. How many of those things should you own? Well, tell, what do you see when people bring things in? I see people owning a ton of these things. I mean, yeah. I see people coming in and they might have 40, 50, 60 more different funds in their portfolio. Now, granted, some of that is because they have multiple different accounts. And so they have an IRA and a Roth IRA and other investment accounts. So, of course, they're going to have different investments. Yep. But at the end of the day, they're, they're holding a bunch. They're holding dozens of different funds. Yeah, I, I call it something. I have a name for it. What's that? And it's not, it's not a, nothing against all you guys who've done this, but I just call it a collector of things. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just what happens to us. You go get a 401k at one old company, and then you roll those funds in, into a, you know, that you keep them there at the old 401k. And you could get another 401k and you keep them there. And then you go get maybe a, an account and you start buying things. And you buy things and you keep them. And then you buy new things and you keep them. And next thing you know, 20 years later, you go look at it and you have like 50 or 60 different things. And you might think that you're diversified. But one of the things we always look at is are you actually diversified? Right. And I think what the point is, is it's not so much about how many things do you own? How many funds do you own? It's about what's inside of those things. Mm-hmm. And so to use an example, I'm going to use four, four funds that I see a lot. Not saying these are good or bad or anything. This is not an endorsement. This is simply saying these are a few funds that I see people have quite often. You know, I'll look at the um, T. Rowe Price Large Cap Growth Fund. I'll see people have. Mm -hmm. I'll look at Fidelity Contra Fund, Vanguard Prime Cap Fund, American Funds Growth Fund of America. Now, those are four funds. And again, I want to be very clear, this is not an endorsement in any way. But people might come in with those four funds, I'm using it as an example, and say, look, James, I'm diversified. I got four different funds, and it might be 40 different funds. Right. And then if they look at the little prospectus, it might be like, well, each of these invests in like four, 300 stocks. Each has 300 stocks. They're each through different fund managers. They're all through different companies. And so it gives the impression that you're really so well you're diversified. you're like 1,200 stocks. <laughs> you would think, right? Really well diversified. Very well done. You've, you've got a lot of different companies. But the thing is, one of the things that we like to do is actually look under the cover and say, okay, if these are the funds you own, what are the stocks or what are the bonds those actual funds are owning? And so, for example, if you look at those four funds I just mentioned, every single one of them lists Facebook as a top holding. Every single one of them lists Amazon as a top holding, Microsoft as a top holding, Netflix as a top holding. And the reason for that is, yes, you have different funds, but they all have the same objective. They're all trying to own big U.S. growth companies, which we can explain what that means. But but just for the sake of this, they're all fishing in the same pond, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's a bunch of managers that may be good, maybe bad managers, we don't know. But they're all owning the same exact thing, which means you as an investor, you're just getting a lot of redundant overlap within your portfolio and you may be paying duplicate costs to do so. Right. And honestly, like if you look at the names of those four funds, maybe the zero price large cap fund and the American funds 
growth fund of America, you might catch as just, you know, you might be like, well, these might be the same, but you're not going to know that by looking at Vanguard prime cap fund or Vanguard contra fund. It's not like you're going to know what you're getting just by the name of it. The name is, it's not always revealing as to what you're actually owning. Exactly. And so I think the point of this is people see these names and think they're doing well, but that's not what you really need to be looking for. You don't want to look for how many names can you collect. You want to really look at what are you actually owning within those funds and are you properly diversified within that? Mm-hmm. So as I start that, what, what should I be looking for? If I shouldn't be looking for the number of holdings, what's a more appropriate thing that I should be looking at with my portfolio? Yeah, so I would go way bigger picture first and look at what, <laughs> well, first of all, what is you need to define what your portfolio is. Well, I think for our conversation, we'll assume it's like your retirement accounts. And maybe you have a trust account or tax. Let's assume just for simplicity, like I have one IRA from an okay. old employer. Really simple. IRA. Cool. So you have an IRA. You're not going to touch for it retirement. You're, 60. It's, you're going to start really taking from those funds when you're probably 70. So you want to look at why am I invested the way I am? So the biggest thing you want to look at first, there's really four things that you can invest in. When you break it down to its basic component parts, you have stocks, which means you're the owner of the company. You have bonds, which means you're lending money to someone else. Much like if you have a mortgage, the bank lent you money. Mm -hmm. And the way that they lent you money was they looked at how credit worthy you were and then what current rates are. And they raise up your rate or lower your rate, depending on that. Mm -hmm. You can do that with corporations right now or with the U.S. government right now, right? The other places you can invest are you can invest in real estate and you can also invest in cash, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They all have distinct purposes. Mm-hmm. So the first thing you want to look at is what is your mix of those four things? Mm-hmm. And when we look at in for real estate inside of an investment portfolio, we would call that a real estate investment trust. Right, right. And so now generally speaking the younger I am or the more growth I can I want over time and the more comfortable I am with the ups and downs of the market, the more I want to tilt my portfolio towards stocks, the more I want to own fewer things of things like bonds, maybe none at all for someone who's, who's a young investor with, with time to go. So let's assume just for the sake of, let's say I'm doing this. Yep. I want to be all stocks. Okay, cool. Now there's no, you, again, this isn't for Do everyone. If, if you want to have some bonds or cash or real estate, that's great too. But once I make that decision, is it is it that simple? Like I could just go buy those four funds that I just mentioned yeah, and I would so, be all stock. Mm-hmm. So what's the next step? So here's the thing. The you, the world stock market, people like, so peop, most people have heard before of the S&P 500. That's the 500 largest companies in the United States. Mm-hmm. If you really want to invest in the United States, there's this thing called, there's another thing called the Russell 3000. That's the, basically all of the, for the most part, we'll call it all of the publicly traded stocks in the United States. Yeah. Most of us operate with what we call a home bias, meaning we want to invest what we know. So we want to invest in the U.S. But guess what, guys? The U.S. only makes up, I think it's about 54% of Mm -hmm. the entire global market. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's roughly 37% of developed countries, meaning, so think of other like Japan and the UK and, you know, uh, France and company countries like that. And then there's this area called the emerging markets, which would be like China and India and Brazil and places like that. So there's three kind of distinct areas you can look to invest within the world stock market. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so as I'm spreading my money out around that, what generally speaking, if the US makes up, say, 54% of the world, total world stock market. I'm guessing I want more of my money to be in the US than I do internationally. Is that 
generally speaking, right? And again, I guess we can't give recommendations on this podcast. So Scott's over here shrugging his shoulders at me. Big disclaimer. Fully up to you. How you <laughs> Fully up to that. me. Take you, take that, do what you want with it. If, so here's but, the thing. If you were agnostic and you didn't want to, if you were agnostic on what's going to do better, which is a good conversation for a different day on can you predict what's going to perform and not perform? If mm-hmm. you wanted to be truly agnostic to the markets, you could take broad indexes around the world and invest in those broad indexes. So if it's 54% of the US, you could do 54%. Mm-hmm. You could do 37% to the developed. You could do whatever that remainder is to the emerging markets. Mm-hmm. You would then own the world as it stands today. Right. You can also choose to have things like a homeward bias where you invest more in your home country. When you go look at what investors do, almost everyone invests with a homeward bias. Doesn't matter if you're in the US or the UK or Australia or Japan. Almost everyone invests with the homeward bias because we like to invest in what we know. Yes. Yes. Okay. So now back to my example of those four funds, that wouldn't be well diversified because all four of those funds were owning only U.S. companies. Those four funds were investing in the S&P 500. Yes. When there's 3,000 stocks in the U.S., 500 stocks, and it was putting all the weight towards what we call growth stocks, which are companies which people think are going to grow forever, like Amazon and Netflix and Beyond Meat and Tesla and things like that. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I know that I need to put some money in the US. I need to put some money internationally. And I think you're starting to mention it now, but there's even within the US, you have growth companies and value companies. You have big companies, you have small companies. I know we can get pretty detailed on this and I don't want to do that. But what you need to do is make sure that of the different funds you have, assuming you're owning a portfolio of, of funds, make sure they're not all owning the same exact asset class or yeah, same exact is, type of investment. James, you know, James with this question is is trying to get at for sure and it's the right way to go. Don't think because you have 50 funds you're well diversified. You need to look under the hood. Um, an advisor could help you do that. There are some tools online that can help you do that where you go put in, like I think actually Vanguard might have a compare tool where you can go yep. put in like what fund tickers do you have. You can even build a portfolio for yourself, I think, on their Vanguard tool. I think if, if they have it, I think we'll look it up. I'll try to link it to show notes if it exists. I'm not going to promise it. But you can actually go kind of put in your, your tickers, your portfolio and see like how, how diversified am I? What, what's this look like? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, exactly. So what you want to do is just you want to di- actually diversify. You want to actually spread out your money. And diversification, again, the point we're trying to make is doesn't mean how many funds can you collect. It means what types of funds are you owning and are they allocated to a bunch of different things that are the types of things you should be owning given whatever your goals are and your time horizon is. Yep. Cool. So um, what should we t- – uh, as far as that – so let's say that – okay, so maybe you figured out – uh, they figured out that they want to diversify. They figured out how to diversify. What else should they look at? Once you once you're at that point, you know a couple of things that you want to make sure of. Keep costs low internally. You know, there's there's so many good funds out there that are very very reasonably priced. When you're owning mutual funds or other types of funds, you're paying an expense whether you see it or not, and you want to make sure that that expense is low. It's called the internal expense, and you know, make sure that number is reasonable because it can be pretty egregious in some funds. So you want to make sure your costs are low. Um, that includes trading costs. You know, if you have sixty different funds and you're trying to do a rebalance because you want to make sure that the mix of funds that you have stays appropriate. Yeah, what's a rebalance? A rebalance means, let's say you have one fund that's a U.S. fund. bigger picture? Stocks and bonds. Why would I do a rebalance? Let's say you have 50% of your portfolio in stocks and you have 50% in bonds. So one stock fund, one bond fund, just to keep this simple. I have two funds, 
Stocks and bonds. Stocks do really, really well this year. Stocks do incredibly well. Bonds don't do so well, what ha- hypothetically. What, how does that look at the end of the year? Well, let's say at the end of the year, even if you started with a 50-50 mix, by mm-hmm. the end of the year, that yep. might be more like a 60-40 mix. Maybe okay. 60% of your portfolio is in stocks and 40% is in bonds because of the relative Should I performance do anything about that? You should, unless your risk profiles change and you want to be more aggressive. What you should really be doing is selling that 10% increase in stocks to buy bonds that had gone down 10%. I'm totally making James like answer these questions off the top of his head, and he's doing a great job. Here's what he's getting at. If ahead of time you figure out there, – because there's the reason that we have bonds in a portfolio for most people is not because it's the most efficient thing to create wealth. It's because it helps us ballast like, like in a ship. It helps us ride the waves when the stock market goes against us. And so the reason that you do that ahead of time is you know that you need to get some type of a return and you're comfortable with a 50-50 allocation like he just described, 50% stocks, 50% bonds. If you have a great year like he just described and it goes up to 60-40, so so we have more money in stock now, we have less money in bonds. If you don't change that, and the markets tank on you, it's going to feel really, really bad. Mm-hmm. It's going to so hurt more. So instead, what you do is exactly what he's describing with the rebalance is we choose ahead of time to say, if we get this much of a gain, I'm going to purposefully choose to sell some of that gain and I'm going to buy whatever's not doing as well. Mm-hmm. That's what rebalancing is. Yes. And if you're doing that with two funds and you're paying trading costs every time you do that, that's not such a big deal. You're paying one trade to sell one fund, one trade to buy one fund. Yeah. If you're doing that with 60 funds- It becomes expensive quickly. It becomes expensive, not to mention you're probably not doing it in the first place because it's just kind of cumbersome to do. Right. But if you were to do it, like you should be, it's just going to become pretty expensive. And you might just throw up your hands at it. You're like, I'm not doing you this. You might it's throw up your funds and just keep collecting things. Way yes. too complicated. The other thing I'll add to, to what James said before about keeping costs low, don't just keep costs low to keep costs low. Sometimes there can be reasons why it's worth it to pay slightly more for some things. Now, there, there's specific reasons of, like for if someone's doing securities lending or something like that, and that's helping you with uh, your dividend payments are going up or something like that. There, there can be reasons why it can make sense. It's not always true that the lowest cost fund is the best fund. Right. So just, just keep that in mind, too. We're not just telling you a blanket statement and to go do it. You have to think this stuff through. Awesome. So what's the takeaway? How many funds should people own? If you were to look at a client, how many funds could they own and have a really well-diversified portfolio? And, and what, at what point is it becoming excessive? So I think people could, could do it with as simple as one fund if they really wanted to. Right. Right? Because you can find funds that are what we call fund of funds. Um, and if that fund of funds doesn't charge the underlying fees and then their own fee, um, it can be really inexpensive. It's really efficient. And that whole rebalancing thing that we just described that I think we got way too detailed and wonky on, um, you don't even have to think about it's it. It's done for you. The fund does it for you. Like it can really be simple for us. When we build portfolios, I personally, I think that anywhere in the, so if you have a small portfolio, I think you want to try to limit the number of funds. If you have a decent amount where you can really build some nuance into it, eh, like maybe, 12 funds is probably you could build mm-hmm. out a re- I just really really well built portfolio that's really doing everything I want it to do for my clients mm-hmm. um, but often anytime we get outside of the like 12 to 15 range you're probably getting into some really excessive things where I'm going to be wondering why we're doing it what the added benefit is there's there's totally in my mind a law of diminishing returns to adding 
complexity to a portfolio. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are situations I've seen at work, but more often than not, it's just becoming excessive. It's either you, because people. I agree. I, th- I think anywhere from three to four funds on the low end up to the 12 to 15 on the high end that you just mentioned, Scott. And if you have more than that, it's typically for one of two reasons. Either number one, you're, you've just accumulated accounts over the years. You've had 401ks, they've rolled over to IR, you just keep buying different things. Number two, I sometimes see advisors who think that they add value by purchasing all these different things and they just become the accumulator for the client. And the advisor thinks that that looks really sophisticated and it looks really smart, but it's, it's, it's not. It just adds redundancy, it adds costs, and people come in saying, my advisor did this, look how great this is, and it's, it's, it's really not. I fully agree. Not I'm great. not a fan of that. Like choose, Adding things or buying and selling things in a moment to make it look like we're, someone's doing something is not, more often than not, not in your best interest, in my opinion. Right. Yeah. Right. There needs to be a real reason to do it. Um, okay, cool. Anything else you want to add for today? Uh, yeah, you know, I think we gave a whole lot of nothing when I think about it. We didn't tell you how much U.S. International. We didn't tell any specifics, but I think the point being, don't think of diversification as number of funds. Think of diversification as what are you actually owning, and then speak with a professional or go online and do your own research if you want to actually figure out what's the best mix for you. Well, and to be clear, what we'll do is I will add in show notes. I'm going to see if I can run down that Vanguard link um, for people to build out their own portfolios to get a better sense of an X, like an X-ray or something like that on how they do. I will also add in show notes an updated market capitalization um, for the world as it stands. Uh, that'd be great. So like what percentage actually exists around the world? So you can get a better sense of that. So if you wanted to use that as a, as a jumping off point for your own research and what you should do, go for it. Awesome. Anything else, Scott? Uh, no, but it was a nice chat. Yeah. Now go build those portfolios. Yeah. And if you guys really like all this wonky stuff, you let us know because <laughs> we love the wonky stuff and we try not to make it wonky. But uh, the biggest thing, actually, I'm, uh, I, we really want to know what your questions are. Yes. So please let us know because we want to answer your questions for you. Until you give them to us, we're going to answer our own. Yeah. I'm sick of answering Scott's questions. So if you guys can enter yours, <laughs> this will go a whole lot better. Yes. Please do. <laughs> all right. Great. Thanks, Scott. Thank you for listening to our show. Before you go anywhere, I want to ask a quick question. If you are there and have a question about personal finances or investing or anything else that you would like for Scott and I to discuss, please head to our website and tell us. We would love to get your feedback. We'd love to hear your questions so that we know what episodes would be most beneficial to you. You can go to realpersonalfinance.co. That's realpersonalfinance.co. And at the bottom of each page, you will find a section where you can leave your very own question for us to answer on a future episode. Other than that, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review. It'll help more people to find our podcast. We'd really appreciate that. And we thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.